Welcome into the PHNX Coyotes podcast brought to you by the one and only DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's top rated sportsbook app. Don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe and leave us a five star review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Leah Merrill here with Steve Peters and Craig Morgan as always. And we are so excited to welcome in a very special guest today. Chris Peters is an NHL draft and prospects analyst for Daily Faceoff, has his own Substack called Hockey Sense has worked for ESPN, CBS, USA Hockey, and you've been working around prospects since 2008. And prospects is all Coyotes fans want to talk about because <laughs> exactly. it's not a lot to be excited about um, here in the present. <laughs> so welcome to the PHNX Coyotes podcast, Chris Peters. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you all. Awesome. So, Chris, before we begin, and, and, and you got the script, so I feel like uh, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have let you know that this was coming ahead of time. But <laughs> I need to ask if it's true that at the U18 World Championship, you almost started an international incident by getting close, too close to Vladimir Putin, and you had to be surrounded <laughs> by his security detail. Wow, I mean, that's a little exaggerated. I certainly <laughs> felt the chill that would go down my spine as he walked past me. Um, <laughs> But yeah, at the 2013 uh, World Under 18s, it was in Sochi, and it was the, essentially the test event for the uh, the Olympics. And so the opening game was USA Russia, um, packed building in the Bolshoi Ice Dome, and Vladimir Putin was there. And I I was doing the the, the streaming broadcast on just very, I mean, we're talking bare bones broadcast kind of thing here. And so I'm bringing in all my equipment. And I got all the, the the Russian Secret Service or the SRG or whatever they are now, you know, not the KGB. I, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it felt like. Uh, but yeah, they're lined down the stairs. And then as I'm getting ready to do my broadcast, I, I feel that little chill go down my spine and right past me about five feet away walks, you know, one of the most powerful human beings on the planet Earth at the time. And um, yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird experience being in Sochi at that time uh, because they were like uh, a year away from the Olympics and they were not close to being ready. Um, The infrastructure in the city was just terrible. It took us an hour to get to the rink every single day, even though it was maybe two miles away. So it was, it was, uh, it was incredible to, to kind of be around that. And then to, yeah, to have Putin walking past me. Um, I mean, I could have spit on him if I wanted to. Like, that's how close he was. I wouldn't have done that because I would have been dead. You would not be here today. I would not be talking to you right now. But the other amazing thing about that entire tournament, though, was that was Connor McDavid's 15-year-old tournament, and he was the MVP at 15 years old. And it was the first time I got to see him live. And it was like, oh, so this is going to be a thing. So, yeah, that was, uh, was pretty amazing. So you didn't confront Putin about their foreign policy or what, how, the way they were treating dogs no, at the time? No, no, not not at that time. I, I felt like uh, my stature at, at that moment as web streaming broadcaster for the under 18 world championship wasn't going to grant me the uh, the gravitas needed for such a situation. All right. I can relate to that. And I'm, I'm not surprised, by the way, that uh, my sources and you probably know who my source is, is uh, yeah. exaggerating this a bit. And what, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. We'll just go ahead and say it's Corey Proudman, so we'll just call him out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least rhymes with Corey Proudman, for sure. Yeah. By the way, uh, PD was just talking off the air, but we need to ask on the air, how does one cover hockey from Iowa? From <laughs> The hockey hotbed, not Minnesota, not Michigan, upstate yeah. New York. Yeah, well, Iowa. honestly, I, I, I'm pretty lucky because, you know, uh, I thought that my career was over. Um, I was at the National Team Development Program working in there, uh, doing communications and everything. And I, I liked the job, but, um, my wife, uh, is an engineer and she was right before we got married, she moved out to Michigan with me and was there. Everything was going great. And two months before our wedding, she lost her job. And so she was out of work for like a year and, and she's an engineer. So I'm a journalist, do the math there. Right. So, um, she looked for a long time in Michigan and it didn't work out. And she found a great job in Iowa and where she's from, she's from Waterloo, Iowa. And we both went to school at Iowa state. Um, and so I was like, I mean, yeah, we're, we're going to go broke if, if I keep this up. So, uh, so yeah, so she moved out here. And so basically I sat around for a few months and then I started a blog, um, called the United States of hockey. And that was like just a way to keep me, just in the game. I was freelancing. I was making next to no money. Um, I I had no idea what to do, but I just knew that, you know, I was, I was miserable uh, without, without hockey in my life because 
I worked at the work with the club team at Iowa State and I worked, you know, with the NTDP and I was the Brian Fishman intern at USA Hockey. So I had basically, you know, for the last six years had been a full time hockey person um, where I was like doing hockey all the time. So uh, I was pretty miserable sitting in Muscatine, Iowa at the time. And so starting that blog turned out to be life changing because then it set me on an entirely new career path. Um, within a couple of years, I got hired by CBS sports and then eventually I became a full-time NHL staff writer for them. Um, and they, they brought me in initially as a prospect guy to just kind of do draft. They were trying to kind of dabble in a couple of niche kind of areas. And, and then I eventually moved into the NHL coverage and still covered the draft, um, not as closely, but still was involved in watching prospects and then just kind of snowballed from there. And then I lost that job because that's what happens in media. Um, I was out of work for a while. I was like, okay, I think I'm done in hockey started a job at the university of Iowa working in their communications department. Um, and then, uh, Corey Priman, who you just mentioned left ESPN to go to the athletic and they called me and I was like, uh, really? And, uh, so then I got to work at ESPN for three years and then the pandemic happened and, but I've managed to like carve out a career from Eastern Iowa. Um, and, you know, it's a long story, but at the same time, it's, it's, uh, it's one I'm really proud of because I thought I was done in hockey, but if you're passionate about something and you can't give it up, you don't. And, and I was lucky that I had the support of my wife for years of not making very much money, um, as a freelancer and as a blogger, an independent blogger at that. Um, and she kept us both afloat. We had kids, she kept the family afloat for a while. And, um, then I was able to turn it into a career. So I, I feel pretty lucky to be able to do it from here or from anywhere, really. I would say that, Chris, my wife also grew up in Waterloo, Iowa, so we will have to connect offline because it's <laughs> the two Peters guys in the show today both have wives. That is a small Waterloo world, yeah. 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 Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I feel your pain with the media industry, Chris. As you know, I've been through similar we don't make money doing this, Craig. There are ups and downs in this business, um, but yeah. you, are, you, are, you actually have some sort of proximity to some NHL markets, to some hockey markets as well. I think you yeah. can go to Minnesota, you can go to Chicago, where you can also watch the Bears if <laughs> so inclined. Not this year. <laughs> which, which year, Chris? Which year? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, this there? year in particular was the most yeah. painful for me. I, I, uh, I, I, I made it into about two games before I was like, no. Nope. Nope. That's it. I, I can't do it. I cannot do it. And, uh, um, I still don't, I, I, I wonder if I'll be able to do it next year. Well, I hope so. But, but actually, you know, I, so I grew up, I grew up in Chicago and I grew up on the South, South side of city. My dad was on the Chicago fire department. So we lived in the city limits and, uh, I'm told I, so when the bears won the super bowl, I was one year old. However, I'm told that I knew all the lyrics to the super bowl shuffle. <laughs> and was once brought my, my parents went to a, a, a fundraiser and uh, a bunch of the Chicago Bears alumni were there and they were they were performing the Super Bowl shuffle live. And I knew all the words. So they brought me on the stage, apparently. And I was singing with the Bears, the Super Bowl shuffle. No recollection of it. But that's my claim to fame that I am actually literally part of the shuffling crew. Uh, wow, you have a few fun facts in your belt there, Putin. Yeah, a little bit, that a little story. Bit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> if I had constructed a better segue, I would have compared the Bears to the Coyotes. The Bears' eternal search for a quarterback in the Coyotes' eternal search for a center. But yeah, let's let's get down to some other business first because I know you've been pretty much uh, an Olympic junkie since they started. You've been watching these games. What are your initial impressions of the men's and tournaments? Uh, men's and women's tournaments, which players, teams have been pressed. Any observations? Yeah, I mean, it's actually been a lot of fun to watch, to be honest. Um, I think it's been way more fun than 2018. I watched all the games in 2018, and I was like, wow, this is this is bad. This is not good. It's not fun to watch. There's no, there's no really compelling element. This year, however, um, because of the way that it was all thrown together, nobody had time to overthink their rosters. They basically just had to get whoever was available – um, I do think that some did still overthink their rosters a little bit, um, you know, there where they went heavy in one direction. But the thing that's really been the compelling fact of, of the men's tournament, and I'll get to the women's too, because that's been compelling as well. The men's tournament is this U.S. team with with 15 NCAA players on it um, has been the best team. And, and it's not just that they 
you know, I've watched all the teams play. The one that has impressed me the most is the United States. And I'm not just saying that because I'm American. I'm saying it because that's what my eyes are telling me right now. They're the fastest team and they're probably the most skilled team. And that's because they went with, you know, if you think about it, what's better, a player that's on the cusp of being in the NHL or a player who already had the chance and can't cut it anymore and, and is in Europe for a reason. And, and, you know, I watch a lot of AHL hockey and I watch a lot of European hockey. And what's the difference between the, the, those leagues and the NHL? What's the precision? It's the ability to make those passes, to catch those passes that are, are bad. You know, the, the touch on the puck. There's all these different things that, that kind of come into play. So we're seeing that in this tournament, particularly with Team USA, where, you know, their, their top defenseman is a 19-year-old in Brock Faber, who's, who's playing 25 minutes a game. Um, and, you know, their, their leading scorer is Sean Farrell, who was in the USHL last season. Um, and these are guys that are, are kind of on the cusp of developing into NHL players. Um, and then Drew Camesso has been their goalie. I think he's been probably the best goalie in the tournament just in terms of pure technique, skill, everything. I mean, the, nobody's really come close to him in that regard. But, um, but aside from the U.S. team, there's also the parity of this tournament has made it more interesting as well. Denmark is in the quarterfinals. It's their first Olympics ever. And it's not just that they're in the quarterfinals. They, they deserve to be there. They're, they're one of the better teams. They have a lot of skill. They have, you know, Franz Nielsen and Michael Bodker and, and players that are actually, you know, can, can do the job and have done the job. And they've had goaltending too. So that's been amazing. But on the women's side, it's been all about Canada. Canada is, it, it's, it's remarkable to me that in the last four years, Canada has gone from, you know, losing the gold medal in a shootout to being dominant in this tournament. Now they played the U S and they, they, they beat the U S they got badly outshot. That was also their second of a back-to-back game. Um, and, and they, they showed some of that fatigue. The U S was coming off a day of rest and then they, they, they owned the shot chart, but they didn't have the same level of skill. So I think the Canadians are bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. Um, they've dominated. Now that doesn't matter in a one versus one you know, in this, this gold medal game that's coming up between the two teams that we always anticipated, but I've been definitely concerned with what I've seen from the U S and they lost so many players from the last time around to, to, to retirement or in Brandon Decker's case injury on the first 10 minutes of the, of the tournament. Um, and, And that's, that's shown that lack of depth has shown Canada is a deeper team at this point, and they also have better goaltending. So um, I think it's going to be a fantastic final because these two teams always bring it and they raise the level of the game. But I think that, you know, if we're looking at it objectively, Canada looks far superior on paper. You know, one thing, Chris, when you look at the world junior tournament, there's always a guy that everybody knows who the big players are in the world junior tournament. It's similar here in the Olympics, similar. Are there names of guys that are going to get a look? Are there, is there somebody that's going to be, we talked about Aaron Ness, who was in this program for a very long time with the coyotes he's playing over there. Is there somebody that's going to get another look by an NHL club, either that hasn't played um, North American hockey before, or has that we thought maybe we checked out Andy Mealy, Aaron Ness guys that our fans would be familiar with. Is there somebody out there that's kind of on the radar now because of the Olympic tournament? I I mean, if I'm, if I'm an NHL team and I'm looking right now and I'm I'm seeing the way that Steven Camper is playing for a team USA, um, that's a guy that I would say, Hey, we might need to bring him back. We might need to bring him back. He's playing the KHL this year. He had, you know, one of his most productive seasons. He's on Team USA's top power play unit. Um, and I wasn't sure what to expect from him. Uh, I wasn't sure I wasn't sure to ex- what to expect from any of the veteran defensemen. Um, but but he's been really good. I think Brian Cooper, who plays in Sweden and was a one-time Anaheim Ducks draft pick and, and played at, the, at Nebraska Omaha and was a really good USHL player. He's looked really good. I didn't have him anywhere on my radar that he was going to make this team, but he's, he's basically been kind of their, their number four in terms of minutes uh, or, and and in some games, they're number three and, and he's played really well. He defends, he's physical. He's not very big, but he's, he's, he's been able to close on pucks. So those are guys that kind of keep an eye on, but really I think this tournament has, has been about the younger players. And there are some guys that are, that are not NHL affiliated yet. Um, Uri Slavkovsky, who's draft eligible this year has been amazing for Slovakia. Uh, Simon Nemitz, unfortunately, he didn't get a shift today against Germany. So I'm not sure or I'm not sure exactly where, you know, he stands on Slovakia's roster, but he's a top young player. And then the U.S. has two college or three college or three undrafted free agents. One is Strauss Mann, the goaltender who who got the win against Canada 
Um, the others are Ben Myers, who I think is going to be the biggest college free agent this year and is going to have a line around the block to sign him. And he has been one of USA's best forwards and most consistent forwards in this tournament. And then also Mark McLaughlin, who didn't play in the last game, but he's a very speedy, gritty player who could be a fourth line guy in the NHL. Um, he was the hockey's defensive player, defensive forward of the year last year. And this year he's been over a point per game player for Boston College. Um, so those are the guys that, that are names to know specifically on the U.S. I'm sure there are a couple like, you know, Josh Hosang has kind of fallen down the lineup for, for Canada. I think a lot of people expected more from him in this tournament with his skill level. Um, but, you know, there are probably a couple of guys in Canada. You know, I don't think this has necessarily been the best audition for Eric Stahl to try and get back into the NHL. Uh, he just did score his first goal of the tournament today against China. Um, you know, the pace I think is eating him up a little bit in some of these games. And, uh, but, but still, I mean, you look at a veteran guy like that, a guy who played so well in the playoffs last year, there's certainly an opportunity for him. I'm sure there are teams that are at least considering it. Um, you know, the, the possibility of having him in their mix for, for a postseason run once, once they have the ability. So you talked about um, some young players and as people who follow the Coyotes, there's some names on all of our radars and those names, primarily Shane Wright, but very recently you came out with your mid-season draft ranking and had Logan Cooley ahead of Shane Wright. So what changed? What can you tell us about Logan Cooley? Because I think Coyotes fans are very familiar with Shane Wright, but maybe not as familiar with Logan Cooley. So what led to that decision in that ranking and what can you tell us about Logan Cooley? Sure. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's been a hard year to get a, get, get a gauge. I think the important thing to, before I get into Logan Cooley, just to mention about Shane, Wright, He didn't play last season. He had the under 18 world championship. That's all he had. I think this year you've seen the lack of progression from year to year. And that has been my biggest concern. So with that, you know, I, I think when you if you say, OK, well, I'm going to take the consensus guy. I've been thinking a lot about that, about the years where we had a consensus, where we knew who the number one was. And I think, you know, you look how often has that actually come to, to bear out? I think the most recent example is the Rasmus Dahlin draft year. If you could do that draft over right now, I would ma I would imagine that most teams are going to pick Andrei Svechnikov first over Rasmus Dahlin and all of us in the public, except for, I think one person had Rasmus Dahlin as the number one guy. So I wanted to make sure that I was challenging myself to make sure that I did, didn't just get lazy and feel like he's the guy. And so as I watched more and more of Shane Wright's games versus Logan Cooley's games, what I saw was a more dynamic player in Logan Cooley, a faster player, a guy who plays the game at NHL pace now who was a number two center for USA at the world juniors before it got shut down, who's producing over almost a point and a half per game at the national team development program. Who's been one of the best players against NCAA teams this year. Cause they play that mixed schedule. Um, and I think, I think Shane Wright is an elite prospect. I think he's going to help whoever drafts him and there's a good chance he's going number one. I think a lot of people were mad at me for, for putting Logan Cooley number one, not because, they were they they don't believe that I did the work, but because Shane Wright, it's if you are one of the last place teams, you want a no doubt first round pick. You want a no doubt first overall, and and there are enough people out there, and I have heard from NHL teams that do not have Shane Wright as their number one overall on their board right now, hmm. and so that, and I I I waited. I I normally. In, in years past, when I was at ESPN, I would ask NHL team, I would ask a lot of NHL scouts. I have a pretty large network of NHL scouts that I trust that I would, would to give me an honest opinion of players. I decided not to use that for my midterm because I wanted it to stand. I wanted my own opinion to stand on its own. I didn't want it to get clouded. Um, and, and in doing that, there's a lot of risk because, you know, I, so, so after I finished and, and even before I finished and actually published it, I started looking at the public list, like the Bob McKenzie list, which is, kind of the gold standard for what the industry thinks, at least it gives you a better idea of what scouts are thinking. Whereas, you know, so, and that's what differentiates the people like me from what Bob does is that we're, we're using our opinion. He's using the opinion of the scouts, which is a, a great way to find out how the draft is going to go. I'm trying to tell you how I think it should go. Um, so, but, but I think what it, just to get back to the, the two players in question, I think what it came down to for me when I made that final decision is, what are the things that make a number one center? And do I think either of these two guys can be it? I think they both can be. 
I don't think either is a lock. And, and that's, and I don't think we have a lock number one center in this draft class. And um, so for me, my preference is, is, is hockey sense skating dynamic elements. Shane Wright has the hockey sense. He's got, you know, he's a fine skater. He's not as good as a, a Logan Cooley. He's not as fast as Logan Cooley. His vision is very comparable. I think, you know, the, the, the thing that separated Logan Cooley from Shane Wright is he's the more dynamic, faster player at this point. Okay. So at this moment, uh, I think Leah is about to roll in the dark clouds that we use sometimes for depressing shows because you've depressed the entire Coyotes exactly. <laughs> that you just said. What <laughs> you need to know here, Chris, well, you, you've already alluded to this a little bit. Could either of these guys, it doesn't sound like either of these guys is a franchise center. Can one of these guys be a number one center? Because quite frankly, the Coyotes will take other at this point. It's been 20 plus years. It's really since Jeremy Roenick that the Coyotes had a true number one center. Yeah, that's a long time. Um, and I, I'll tell you what, like, so I think both of them absolutely could round out into franchise. Like I, I think Shane Wright has the, has a little bit more potential maybe to round out as that, you know, kind of do everything Patrice Bergeron center, but he's not there yet. And I haven't seen a guy that, that has played like a clear number one this year. Um, so I, I think that both of them have that potential to be special. Like I think Logan Cooley is, is very much in the Jack Hughes vein where it's, it's speed, it's dynamic, it's, you know, making plays that other players can't um, at pay with, with pace. Um, those are the types of things that I think matter for him. So I, I do think that they could be potential impact guys and franchise centers. Uh, it's just that this year and this draft, I think it's, it's become less and less, uh, less and less easy to figure that out. Um, who, who really can be that defining guy? Um, you know, and I think last year we looked at, uh, you know, the, two year, two years ago, looking at Alexi Lafreniere and saying, well, this guy can be a franchise altering player. And he comes in and, you know, they, he's still got a lot of growth to go, but he's been so far from what was expected. And this is another guy that lost significant time playing mm -hmm. time and development time before his first NHL season. Um, so the other thing that I think all teams have to consider at this point with the way that the pandemic has, has impacted leagues below the NHL, we just saw Owen Power go back, and I think that should be a precedent-setting thing. Um, Shane Wright has not dominated the OHL this year. Yeah, you don't if he's not, and, and whoever drafts him is going to put him in the NHL next year, no question. And if they if they do that, they run the risk of having an Alexi Lafreniere situation. Jack Hughes took a long time to round out. Capo Caco still waiting to see him take that next step. You know, so it's getting more difficult for teams to have that guy that's going to jump in right away. Um, so there, that's what you kind of have to consider. There are so many factors. And I think if you're a team like the coyotes, you can't make that, you can't make a mistake on this number one pick. If you do get it, you're in a better position at number two to, you know, make, you know, you don't have that hard decision to make you, it should be easy. I think that, you know, I'm not, obviously it's just my opinion, but I don't think there's anybody close to Cooley or Wright at, at, at number yeah. two. So you know, that that's that. And that's just my opinion. I know there are people that don't have Cooley in their top five, you know, but that's me. So, um, but yeah, but I, and I, I don't think it's particularly close. So either way, you know, unfortunately 2023 is the year to be the worst team ever. So I let Petey jump in here. You talked about the impact of COVID. I don't know if you've gotten a sense from, from scouts, from development people, is that something that can be made up or is that something that's going to be impacting these players for the rest of their careers that lost year or year plus? It's going to take a lot more work. And I think it's going to take teams identifying where those deficiencies or those missed opportunities were. I also think it's going to take a little more patience on the part of all the teams to allow these guys the time to make up some of that ground. Um, you know, like in, in Lafreniere's case, the QMJHL season gets shut down in his draft year. He doesn't play for about six months there. This was at the beginning of the pandemic when we couldn't do anything anywhere. Um, and then their first, you know, the first thing that he gets to do is he goes into an NHL training camp and then he's playing NHL games. It's just not, that was not conducive to 
a positive environment for him. And then also the Rangers had their whole mess of we got to fire everybody and we got to make the change behind the bench and all this other stuff. So that didn't help matters there. But I, I, I don't think that anybody that, that had this lost time is a lost cause because development is never linear. It's never in a straight line and it's never going to be, um, you know, something that, that is easy to predict, but it's something that with enough patience, with enough work, you can make up the ground that was lost. And I think that that's going to be on the players and themselves to, to do that, but it's also going to be on the teams to identify what needs to be done. Chris, I have to say, this has been a roller coaster so far because first it was, there's not an elite franchise changing center. Then it's maybe it's best to be number two. So I don't even know what I want anymore. <laughs> Way to go, Coyote fans. <laughs> but, you know, that's just being a Coyotes fan. So, um, yeah, it can never be easy. Yeah, no, it's really not. Um, we have a lot more to get to. Um, this has been really great so far. But before we move on, I just want to uh, talk to everybody about the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And there is a new promotion now that the Super Bowl is done um, going on at DraftKings. So new customers who sign up for the DraftKings Sportsbook app using the promo code PHNX and bet $1 on any NBA team can get $150 in free bets if that team wins. If you're already a customer, you can... Um, bet on the NBA with same game parlays. We've been talking about the Olympics. You can also bet on the Olympics. So tons of stuff you can do on DraftKings. So be sure to check it out. Use the promo code PHNX, bet a dollar on any NBA team, get 150 in free bets if that team wins. That's 21 and over. Arizona only gambling problem. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for more details chris i'm gonna go in a different direction here and this is i don't want coyote fans to be frustrated but you've already alluded to what the center position could be and this is the problem with the nhl draft as a whole when you're drafting 17 and 18 year olds you just don't know and one thing that's always bothered me here specifically in arizona is everybody goes back five years and goes oh you guys missed on that pick the coyotes missed on this pick well you blew it with this one I'm going to take you back to 2015. Arguably the best player in the world right now, Connor McDavid gets drafted. Consensus, number one. Consensus, well, you know, Eichel is a nice player, but McDavid's the guy. Going to change your franchise, going to bring you cups, all of those things. Coyotes lose the ping pong balls again, sit at third. So here in Arizona, it's always, well, Dylan Strom was a terrible pick. Look at all, Miko Ranton and Marner Hannafin came after. Can you take us back? to 2015 at that time of the draft when we're talking about 17 year old players dylan strome was the guy like he was he was the guy that was going to be picked third in that mix so revisionist history is easy now to go look at oh my gosh look at all these guys that got drafted but at that time wasn't dylan strome the next in line yeah i mean depending on who you ask it was really between strome and marner i think that that was that was where where it went. And I, at that point I was working at CBS and I didn't have a full pre-draft ranking, but I did a lot of work around that draft. And so you look at Strom's numbers from his draft season and, and really from, from subsequent seasons. And you're saying, wow, you know, this is, this is a special talent. This is a guy that has high end hockey sense, elite vision. He's a, he's a tremendous playmaker. He's got size at the center position. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be a, a really solid player. Now, everybody knew at that same time, Though skating was an issue, you know, that's not that's not going to be his strong suit. But look at the brain on this kid. Look at the way that he plays. I think. And you're exactly right, Steve, like you cannot you have to judge it based on the information that was available at the time, because we'll do redrafts and all those things that we do as prospect writers. And it makes people look bad. But I always try to, to emphasize this th this wasn't a mistake. It didn't look like a mistake at the time. When I'm grading the draft for the Coyotes, I, I'd have to go back and look at my grades, but I'm pretty sure I gave them an A, you know, for 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 getting Dylan Strom. And I could have been Marner, could have been Strom. Now that was also a year where I was super high on Noah Hannafin. I thought Noah Hannafin was going to be the next big thing. Um, and it was kind of between him and Zach Wierenski as a, and 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 Ivan Provorov as the top defenseman. Well, turns out Zach Wierenski ended up being the best defenseman of that group, and you know, and, and I think there were, if I remember correctly, at one point, I even had Hannafin, even though I didn't do a straight ranking, I had Hannafin ahead of Strom and, and Marner, which would have made me look 
awful, <laughs> you know, if, if that was the way that it went, even though Noah Hannafin's an everyday NHL defenseman, a pretty good player. Um, that's not the type of guy you want at number four. So um, I, I'm a, I was a big believer in Dylan Strom. I actually wrote uh, when I was still at ESPN, when it was kind of like make or break for him, um, you know, when he did end up getting traded, I was, I said, you know, this is going to be right before he got traded. Rather. I said, this is the year where he's, it's going to start to come together for him a little bit. And, you know, it came together to a certain degree, but still he hasn't been that consistent. And where, so where, where's the disconnect? I think part of it is in development. Part of it is in the decisions that are made after the draft. Part of it is on him. You know, like there's, there's all those different things that kind of come into play. And, and, you know, the Coyotes have had such a strange history with some of their prospects. I I go back to the Kyle Turris situation and different things like that, where, where those frustrations build up. And some of those are self-inflicted. Some of those are on the player. Some of them, you know, there are all these different things. And so often, like the, the worst thing about doing the prospect work that I've learned is that so often it is just coming down to luck and situation. There's not, you know, there's sometimes you can make the perfect pick and it's just not the right situation. It's not the right fit. Um, and, and so, yeah, but but I, I I agree completely. Like, I don't think that Dylan Strom at the time was a miss. It made complete sense. There was a razor thin margin between him and Mitch Marner. Um, if you pick Mitch Marner, does it change the course of your franchise? Maybe, maybe not. It's hard to know what he would look like outside of Toronto at this point. So, yeah. And and that's, that's the thing too. You mentioned development and and that's a, that's a key piece here that I think often gets overlooked. And we know what the Coyotes situation has been like financially for a very long time. Um, when the league owned them, when subsequent ownership groups owned them, there wasn't enough invested in those areas, in my opinion. And that, right. that can really impact a player right off the hop. And you may never recover from something like that. So who knows? Like if Dylan Strome gets drafted by another team that has a great development system, maybe we're talking about an entirely different player at this point. It's hard to say. Yeah, it, it is. It, it is. And I mean, it's it's easy to look back now and say, wow, if we only got Marner, if we only got Wierenski, you know, if we only got, there are a lot of different things, but there's also a lot of other teams that are asking themselves those same questions. So just the way it goes. Not from 2015, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no. They just came away with three first round picks and that ultimately, and, and, and then you look at the names that went in the first round, even the second round, guys like Sebastian Ajo, they didn't get any of those guys. Nope. <laughs> Well, in this draft, um, the Coyotes have a ton of picks. Um, We can take a look here. There's eight picks just in the first two rounds. Um, What can the Coyotes accomplish in this draft? You mentioned that it's not this draft class isn't quite as deep, maybe as people originally thought. What what with all of these picks? I mean, there's so many. What can the Coyotes accomplish? Please give us some hope. I, I will give you I will give you some hope because I think that the most important thing that the Coyotes did in the Bill Armstrong era is is the people that they brought in on the scouting side. I, I mean, this is you have you have just given an elite scouting staff a ton of bullets to 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 use. And 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 it, it's you know, we we sometimes joke about draft picks being you know magic beans. Um well yeah. you, you want to have more of them because then there's more of a chance that that, that, that you, you can grow more magic bean stocks, hopefully. Um, but what I, what I would say is, is, you know, with, with having Ryan Jankowski, Daryl Plandowski, um, the skis, uh, you know, you having, having them in, in the mix, in that decision process. And then Bill Armstrong who made his bread and butter and the draft and who is one of the great talent evaluators of, of in, in the league. Um, that is a huge, a huge thing that can happen now. This draft, I think, is closer to average, but there have been a lot of average drafts that have produced big picks, you know, like guys that can make a difference. And I think that if you have invested in the scouting, if you've invested in the in the you know the the, the processes that the processes that you go through to make picks, um, having all those picks is huge. And the other thing that you can do with that stockpile, especially those those many second round picks, which I think second round picks are tremendous trade assets. A lot of teams will find guys that they have high on their list that falls into the second round that suddenly they want. And then you've got the pick that you can, and you have the surplus of picks to provide to get something that you want. Um, so I think that, that there are multiple, when you have that stockpile of picks, you have so many different options. And I think in this year's draft, while it is average, there's value to be found. There are guys that are in this draft that I think have high upside that are going to be 
big time players that, that that will find a way and will will impact your organization. Will you find your best player? Maybe, maybe not. It's really hard to say at this point with this class. I think that you know we're still learning about. You look at any of the players across the OHL right now, and you're like, is this really what he is, or is it because he missed a year? You know those types of those types of questions are still being asked. I I personally feel that this year's draft is harder to do than last year's draft, and that was without the OHL playing and at all. Um, so there's just so many different, there are so many guys in this year's draft that just didn't play anywhere last year or didn't have the right situation. Um, and there's a lot of re-entries and things like that. So I would say that if you're an organization like the coyotes and you've invested in your scouting, which they have, um, that's, that's a really important thing. And I think that they're, in, they're well positioned to take advantage of the stockpile. Yeah. We were talking in eight, those eight picks will likely all come in the first 50 of the NHL draft, which is just insane to think about. It, it is. It is. And that's yeah. a great place to be because the drop off is, is pretty dramatic. You know, like I only did my, well, you mentioned after 60, right? Yeah. Usually. Yeah. I mean, like, and, yeah. I mean, really the drop off, I think in, in any draft is, is, is usually in the twenties. I mean, really, cause you start getting into the, the maybe, maybe nots. like that's where, you know, the late first round, the early second round, um, but that's also where the good scouting staffs have been able to find players and that, that, that make an impact. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned the Coyote scouting staff. I completely agree with you. I've been around for all the other scouting staffs and most of it has been a matter of resources. They just haven't had the money to invest. But when Bill came in, he really convinced this ownership group that that's where they needed to start. And they listened. This is without question the best scouting staff I've ever seen here. So that's really encouraging. Again, and is it the biggest too? It's got to be yes, the biggest, yes, right? Is. I mean, there's yeah. so much experience, which is so important in this business too. There's so much experience on this staff. So we'll see what they can do, but at least they have they have invested in the right area. I wanted to ask you on that front, and we don't even know what's going to happen at the trade deadline if they're going to acquire more assets. My my suspicion is that if Bill gets more assets, he's going to try and push them out to future years to keep that pipeline coming. But how difficult is it for a staff to execute eight picks in the first 50? Not that hard. If you've worked really hard on your list, if you, if you are confident in your list and you just get to pick right off the list, it's not that hard. Um, I think the team's Teams, you know, the the one thing that having that many picks allows you to do is it does allow you to take a couple of swings earlier than you might have otherwise taken um, because you said, OK, well, we've got that. But the, again, that comes down to did you build your list in that way to, you know, is there a guy that you have? Well, we really like his ceiling, so we're going to rank him a little higher than maybe the consensus would suggest we should, um, which they've done in the past with other players, too. Victor Soderstrom, um, you know, like, so like that, that's, you know, those are kind of some of the things where um, it just kind of comes down to how, how the work that goes into it on the front end. I mean, so they've already had their, their mid season scouting meetings. They have their board at this point, that's going to change in the coming weeks and months. Um, then their next meeting, it'll change again. And uh, you, you just go through that process. And if you're comfortable in the, in the process that you've put together, you know, it's, it's, it really, it really isn't that hard in the end. <coughs> I think you're, out you're of muted. Mute. You're muted, PD. See what I do? That's I'm clearly a professional here, Chris. I muted because I didn't want to step on you here. Here's my concern. And I, I don't want to be a pessimist. Actually, I do because if you listen to our show every day, I'm moderately negative. You go back again. I want to go back to 2015 again. And here's a team, the Boston Bruins, have three picks in the first 15. And you go, oh. This is going to turn the franchise around. Boston Bruins, they're, they're, going to, they're going to be back to the Stanley Cup. Here we go. Bruins, three high picks. And they don't. And, and, and I don't want to say swing and a miss because that's not, that's not fair. I mean, Jake DeBrus has become an everyday player for that team, and, and he's a role player that helps a team win. I like Jake DeBrusque a lot. The other two players, eh, don't become players. So I, I, I understand what the Coyote has done. I, I, they've done a great job, and Bill Armstrong's done a fantastic job of getting these assets difficult, and he held out and, and did things with Kemper, and all great. But there's no guarantee yet. That there, there's a long way to go. So I, I just want to make sure our, the fans in Coyote country understand that this is no guarantee. There's a lot of work to be done um, for this. Do you remember that, Jeff, and when Boston went through that with those three picks? I do. And I remember my jaw hitting the floor when the first one, when they first said Jacobs Borrell. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, and uh, then they said Jake DeBrusque. And I was like, uh, better. 
Um, and then they said Zach Shemishin, and I said, uh, what? And that, so are they trying to be smarter than other people? Are scouts at that point going, Hey, we, we found somebody that nobody else in the whole world knows about, even though everybody has access to the exact same information. We're just, well, yeah, I, there are a couple, I think there are a couple of important factors there. I think, you know, at least one of those picks was acquired on draft day. I think the, the, one of them was from the, the Milan Lucic trade. Actually two of them may have been acquired on that draft day. Um, when, so, so you're going into it with a completely different draft strategy at that point, after mm-hmm. you've acquired those picks, um, I think that this is a situation, the Zaboral pick, I think was a need-based pick where he was ranked highly because of where he is, what position he plays rather. Um, and yeah, I mean, like the amazing thing is, is the best player that came out of that draft, they got in the second round and Brandon Carlo. So kind of crazy. Mm. PD, uh, <laughs> no, you can just keep being negative, PD. If you want to take that role on the show, you know, we, we're used to that. I know. <laughs> Chris, let me ask you, um, let me combine these two things. As, as we've talked about already, you, you, this draft was once described as one of the better drafts as the millennium, and a lot of opinions have, have changed on it. You now rank it as average to maybe below average. Why do you say that? And then tell us what you think are the strengths of this draft, whether it's in skills or positions. Yeah, so – when I'm looking at a draft, I think the most important the most important element of a draft is what it looks like at the top in order in terms of how I how I rank you know rank it. Um, and this year, I felt there's no you know it. We knew there was no Connor McDavid, um, but then there's also the fact that Shane Wright has underperformed based on expectations. Um, and like I said, I still think he's an elite prospect. Um, it's a big draft for the U S you know, so that's nice, but I think because of, you know, Ontario is down um, and, and, you know, the WHL is, is, has some guys, Matt Savoy, Connor Geeky, both on, on one team um, and some defensemen in the draft, but uh, it's, it's a terrible goalie draft, you know, so th- there's not a lot of positional, you know, excitement, like, like last year we had, well, we know we have at least two elite goaltenders. We have, um, you know, a top tier defenseman, we have a top tier center, you know, we, so that there are those things. And I I just think there are those, there are fewer kind of flashpoint players in this draft where you can say, this is the guy. And I think part of the problem is, is we also are getting caught looking ahead to 2023 and we're seeing Connor Bedard, Matt Bay, Mitchkov, Adam Fantilli, uh, Charlie Stramel, who is uh, just coming back from an injury, and I, I think you know could be uh, a superstar in the league, in, and nobody's really talked about him for 2023. Um, you know, I just I feel like there's there's more there, and there's nothing wrong with an average draft. Plenty of great players come out of an average draft. It's not going to be you know like the 2001 draft or the the, you know, the Sedin draft, where basically it was like the Sedins, and, and that that was kind of it um, coming out of their draft. So uh, I think there are going to be some players there, but it, you know. I, I just think we too often label drafts two to three years out and things change so, so much in that, in that span. Um, we have quite a few questions in the chat that I want to make sure that we get to. Um, but just first, I want to take a moment to tell everyone about uh, our newest partner who I've talked about before, but I'm really excited about it because I've been using this product every single day. Um, I, I think Chris was drinking some just now. Maybe. Maybe, maybe that's what he's yeah. got going. Exactly. Um, I had no idea what's coming. <laughs> so many, no. so many supplements that I would take every day. It would take forever. Um, but now I take athletic greens because with one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to help you start your day right. It's a no-brainer. It supports better sleep quality and recovery. It has over 7,000 five-star reviews, and it costs you less than $3 a day, and you're investing in your health. Um, I drink it while I'm brewing my coffee. It's part of my morning routine now, so it's a really, really great product, and to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash coyotes. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash coyotes to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. 
you just mentioned that not any goalies in this draft because one of the questions was any goalies worth <laughs> looking at in this draft um is there any goalie or not really or maybe it'll be one of those where we look back and say oh who knew yeah I mean I think Tyler Brennan is the consensus top goalie in this draft um out of, out of the WHL and uh basically um yeah, there's just not depth. There's really no depth at the position this year. There are certainly guys that you can look at in the later the later stages of the draft. Um, you know, late round guys that you could probably get, like a Brett Brochu from London Knights, who's a, a th- going through the draft his third time, but he's a five foot eleven goalie. Those guys really have a hard time. But I mean, you look at UC Saros right now, and I'm not saying he's going to be the next UC Saros, but I think that they're at least giving more teams and a reason to look at goaltenders at, at that size. Um, but, you know, I think Brennan was came into the year as a potential first-round guy just because he was so far and away, you know, that has the most potential. But he hasn't necessarily played up to a, a level where you'd say, oh, well, that guy's definitely a first-rounder. In fact, he might not even be a second-rounder. Um, and so, yeah, so in terms of, of high-end goalies, I, I don't see a ton. Um, that's that's one where, you know, that, that to me, that's the position that's most intriguing to potentially acquire via trade, um, you know, and 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 maybe find some, a young goalie or a young free agent that you can uh, you can bring in. Because um, I think especially in the position that the Coyotes are in right now, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody that you get in this draft would be a, a very long term project. Um, so I, I think that those assets would probably be better served in other places. And then another question, um, with all those second round picks, should the Coyotes try to draft players that already play well together with their respected team, or should they try to get the best players left, which kind of asks another question that we had is, do scouts and GMs draft the best player available, or do they draft the player that best suits their need? Yeah, so this is always an interesting conversation because the just to answer the best player available thing, they will always draft the best player available, but that's the best player available as far as they're concerned. That doesn't, there is no consensus. Like in the NFL, they'll say, well, we're, we're going for the best player available and we're getting, we're getting a, uh, we're getting a, uh, um, you know, a, a star running back. We're getting the number one ranked running back, you know, and, and all that stuff. And you can kind of point to that. That doesn't exist in hockey. And so teams are going to build their boards in a, in such a way where they may wait defensemen, they say, Hey, you know, we'd like to find some defensemen. We're going to weight them a little differently versus the forwards on our list because we think we need it to get it. I do think that draft boards can change over the course of a draft and teams will react to that occasionally. Um, but in general, they're going to go for the best player available, but that's different for every single team. So it's really, you know, you can't get the best player available off of Bob McKenzie's board. That's just not how it works. Um, and then another question, do you think it's better to keep all those picks or bundle some of them to pick higher, maybe not in this draft, but maybe the 2023, I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, the general, generally it's not favorable to, 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 to trade up, um, you know, losing assets, losing, losing bullets in the draft, not ideal. Um, Unless there's a player that you are so sold on that he is the guy that you feel are you are guaranteed and, and you know and that player at what at one point was like a Victor Soderstrom that was the guy they really desperately wanted to have. Um, I at the time my 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 feeling on that pick was completely altered by the the assets given up to acquire that pick. Um, and I mean, like, I think I believe the second round pick ended up becoming Bobby Brink, who is right now one of the top scorers in college hockey and that as a second round pick. And, you know, I think that in general, you're better to have both of those picks than to trade up. So that's not that that's not a hard and fast rule, though, because, like I said, if there is a player out there that you feel so confident in that you you need to have that player, then trade up for him. But, you know, and then that is one thing that I did say um about you know just basically uh that that pick is like you know the the you got to give them credit for shooting their shot and wanting that guy bad enough that they were willing to to make that move but i think in general 
you know, the data has shown that you're you're going to probably have more success trading back than you are trading up. Um, another question here: When you draft that high, can you bake someone longer to encourage development in the O or the American League, or is that problematic? And that also ties into another question that I just have that I know Coyotes fans will want to know because uh, the Coyotes' number one pick last year, Dylan Gunther, um, has been in the Canadian Hockey League, so. What do you think about, it's kind of a twofold question, um, just the development aspect for having players stay in their minor leagues. And what do you think of Dylan Gunther's development so far, if you have been paying um, yeah. attention to his play? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that there is, I, I have never seen a player stay too long in one place. Um, I think there have been times where, where a guy gets a little stale in junior, but that usually doesn't impact their their development negatively. What fans and and to answer the question too initially because I think it's really important is if you are a team that is you know doesn't cave to the pressure of playing your top pick right away um then you are doing a good job because you are doing right by the player. You're not doing you're not just putting a player in there because you need to to juice up the fan base and give them something to look forward to because if you put that guy in there and he's not ready it could completely ruin him. Like, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I hate to, you know, continue to use examples of past administrations, but I mean, the Barrett Hayton decision was, was, was horrible for his, for his development. Um, he wasn't ready. He was good, but he wasn't ready. Um, and uh, I know that, you know, I think the, the, the Sioux Greyhounds expected to get him back. And when they didn't, they were surprised. That's not usually a good thing. If that team is like, Oh, cause they, they're going to know better than anybody. Um, and, and some of it is biased where it's like, oh, we just want this player because he's really good. But, you know, that was one where I think that, that in the end, and that's, again, we have the benefit of hindsight. You know, if you go off of his world junior, you thought he was going to be one of the best prospects in the world. Right. Um, and, 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 he, and he could be. He could have been. Um, and he still might be a really great NHL player over the course of the year. But now he's, he's kind of set back. So I think in general, you know, with, with the CHL rule, I love that this year they allowed players that played in the, the AHL last year during the pandemic season to stay if the teams felt that, that was best for their development. So it allowed guys like Quentin Byfield and and there's a uh, uh, Donovan Sabrango playing for for uh, Detroit. He's you know he's he's in their AHL for a second straight season. You know so uh, Cole Perfetti. So they gave those guys that opportunity to stay, and that turned out to be very beneficial for them because that first it's, it's a really hard league to play in if you're 18 and 19 years old. Um, so you know, numbers can go any which way, but I, I think in general, like, especially with Dylan Gunther, you know, Craig and I were talking about this before the season. I said, if they bring, if, 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 if they have him on their roster this season, they have done him a huge disservice. Um, and I didn't think that this administration was going to do that. The, 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 the Armstrong was going to do that. And certainly they did. They, they sent him back, which is disappointing if you're a fan, because you want to see this new shiny thing. And it's, and, and it's, you know, they do, Prospects absolutely goose optimism. I mean, the, the Vancouver Canucks have been doing that for like every year for a couple of years where it's like, we got a new prospect to, to show you. And, and then it's Brock Besser and Elias Peterson and, and so, and Quinn Hughes. And then it's like, Oh wow, this is great. But where are they now? You know, like they're not, they're still not where they want to be. Um, and so I, I think that that's patience is, is, is a virtue, you know, and especially in player development, if you rush it um, you know, it's, it's, it's more often than not, you're not going to get the best results. You might get good results, but you're not going to get the best results. And I do get the sense, like you said, about this administration, that they're not going to make that mistake that has been made so often here in the past. Um, dovetailing off that, I want to ask you one question. I know PD has one as well, and then we'll let you go. Are you a proponent of draft uh, raising the draft age? And what is your general sense of how scouts and executives feel around the league about the same question? Yeah, it's very mixed. It's very mixed. And I feel I feel very conflicted on it because I think on one side, we do try to rush these guys a little too much and that they could use that extra year. Um, and it would open things up in terms of, you know, maybe more players decide to go to college for a year or two, or maybe some players decide that they want to do, you know, go to Europe or, or whatever. There should still be options available to them. I think in general, though, um, scouting has gotten so much better. They don't miss as nearly as much as they used to. Um, they, I think player development 
has 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 grown leaps and bounds in the last 15 years in particular where there has been a huge investment i mean every every prospect in the system has a dedicated staff person that is watching them all the time that is that is that is keeping up with them that is calling them weekly that is getting them video that is that is work so so all of those things are contributing to a better system in place um so quite frankly i think the way that it is now it works fine. I also think there should be the opportunity for an 18 year old individual to play professionally if it's there, if they're ready. And if the, you know, if there's the Connor McDavid's and the, and the Austin Matthews and whoever else, you know, I think that they're, they're the guys that, that certainly could. But if you look at it, if we had that extra year of data, the, the drafting would get better because I've, I've seen a lot of guys in their post draft year really take giant steps forward. Um, you know, just to use a recent example, Matt Boldy from last night uh, gets a hat trick for the Minnesota Wild. And that's a guy that, you know, had a really good college season, um, tough start. His freshman year was a tough start, but then he finished strong. Then he came back the next year. He was, you know, elite. And he goes, if he didn't get hurt in training camp, he would have been right away on the NHL roster. So, you know, so I think that that, that there you could make a case for, for the 19-year-old draft. But I think that as it is right now, and quite frankly, I mean, you know, I think if you're a team that's doing their work, they're they're going to have, you know, be watching these guys multiple years already. Um, I don't necessarily think that adding a third to that, you know, is because most of them are they'll start watching them in their 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 draft minus one season, um, you know, just to get notes on them, and then uh, and then move on. So I don't know if adding another year to that process necessarily is going to make a dramatic difference. Um, if nothing else, it slows everything down and it might, you know, might make players and teams a little more patient in how they work with players. Okay, Chris, we've gone over a lot of topics over the last hour, a lot of leagues, a lot of players, a lot of history. So for Arizona Coyote fans that are in the middle of this horrific rebuild that is very difficult and painful, and we may be doing it for years, guys, just hang in there. Yeah. Can you just give us just a quick hitter, the three names that Coyotes fans, I got my pen out because I'm not going to have to do my homework now. I'll just cheat off of you. I've got my pen. Give us the three names at the top of this list that Coyote fans, even if the balls don't bounce in their favor, give us the three names that Coyotes fans need to know for this summer. Yeah, so, I mean, I think clearly Shane Wright. I mean, he's still very – he'll go no lower than second. I mean, you know, I think that if he'll probably go first, he's going to go no lower than second. He can be a difference-making player. He's a highly intelligent guy, you know, um, physically ready, could probably gain a step and, and a little more explosiveness, but elite shot, all the great things that, that he does. Um, you know, Logan Cooley is electric. You know, I think that you look at, um, you know, I, I, I always loved Clayton Keller, been a fan of Clayton Keller from the beginning. I thought that he was one of the best NTDP players I ever saw. Um, and I think that Cooley has, it has been even better, even though his numbers aren't going to look as good as Keller's did. Um, I, I think that his, his, his speed and, and electric, there's just an electricity about him. And then the other guy that, that has not had an, like an amazing year, but I think is really the highest upside forward, potentially the highest upside forward in this draft is Ivan Marashnashenko from Russia. Um, he was actually supposed to come to Muskegon. He was going to go on the exact path of, of uh, Andrei Svechnikov. He's going to go to the Muskegon Lumberjacks in the USHL. So for some reason, his visa was declined um, during the pandemic. So he has to stay in Russia. He's playing in Omsk. And it, I, I, I'm really concerned about what that means for his development because he's been playing in their second division pro league where he's been pretty good. But he's powerful. He skates fast. He's got skill. Um, he's, he's just got all kinds of elements to him. And uh, he was a top player at the, the World Under 18s. And so if you get him... And then you get Matvey Mitchkov. You might have like the the, the Ovechkin, Malkin of their time, uh, you know, potentially if you can get both of them in the subsequent draft. So those are the guys that I've zeroed in on as my top three. Uh, but those are, you know, that's certainly, I, th- I don't think there's a consensus after, really after one at this point. And then and I broke the consensus with my rankings. So, um, so yeah, so you can just kind of go with whatever, uh, whatever, whatever you feel is best. But I, I think that those guys are, are the three that I've really zeroed in on. And I think that, that if you get any one of them, you're going to have an elite player in your system. Well, Chris, we can't thank you enough um, for joining us. I feel like I've taken a lot away. We probably could have kept going for another 
hour. Um, but we will be talking a ton about prospects in the draft going forward into these next few months because that's what there is for Coyotes fans to look forward to. And thank you to everyone in the chat who sent in their questions. Sorry we couldn't get to them all. Again, I'm sure we'll be probably hopefully talking to Chris again um, before July. Yeah, we need to have you back on, Chris. Yeah, uh, definitely. Sure. This is a lot of fun. I really yeah. appreciate it. And I'm super jealous of uh, PD's jersey collection back there. So, uh, <laughs> right. I, yeah, I need that Team North America. And I, yeah, I'd sneak into your house <laughs> and uh, steal that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. Well, um, you can read um, Chris's writing at dailyfaceoff.com. That's where the midseason rankings and all of that is. Um, you can also follow Chris on Twitter at is it Chris at Chris M Peters? Is that what it is? Yes, M. Yes, okay. M. And your Substack is still going, right? Substack. Yeah, yeah Substack. Yep, Hockey yep. Sense, Hockey Sense at Substack.com and Talking Hockey Sense podcast wherever your podcasts are downloaded. You know, perfect. Yeah, perfect. So <laughs> if you if you're listening and you want to know more about prospects and all of that, check all of those things out. Um, and also be sure to check out gopagenx.com. Craig and PD were out at ASU's uh, new multi-purpose arena yesterday. So there's video at PHNX sport underscore sports on Twitter, as well as at PHNX underscore coyotes. Um, we'll probably touch more on the arena stuff tomorrow in our audio only episode. So be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast to PHNX coyotes, check out Craig's arena story and a exclusive interview um, with Javier Gutierrez as well um, at gophnx.com. Become a member today. Get a shirt from the PHNX locker. PD's wearing his purple one, the red one's in the back. Um, and there's a new incredible sun shirt. So check all of that out. We'll be back tomorrow with an audio episode Thursday at 1230 live, a special French bulldog edition of the show. That should be a lot of fun. Um, so stay tuned this week. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks again, Chris, and we'll see everyone tomorrow.